If you'd like to follow the reading in context, um, please turn with me to page 787 in the Bibles in the pews. Otherwise, I think you can follow it on the overhead. Reading Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through to 15. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in, who in secret. Oh, sorry, your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, good morning, again. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. What a great start to the service. I really loved um, joining in, praising God with you all and worshipping him. I had a real sense that people were really connecting uh, with the words that they were singing and were worshipping from their heart. Um, in particular, it was great to see Liz up the front again and singing. It was the first time we've seen her since she's had uh, baby Rebecca. So, praise God. Um, and I was really impressed with that young boy up the front asking Joshua to pray before they went as well. It was, it was quite good, appropriate for today when we're talking about prayer. Um, so with prayer in mind, uh, let me pray now. Dear God, these are your people that you want to encourage to pray to you, to connect with you as our Heavenly Father. So please help me this day to speak your word of encouragement to us through Christ that we might indeed seek you out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was uh, at Deacon during the week. I'm a chaplain there and I go in um, at least probably for a few hours a week and I try and go in on Wednesdays and I've got an office space there that I can use. There are several other uh, chaplains in the multi-faith team, and um, usually, though, I'm the only one on campus when I head in. But this week when I went in, there was another chaplain on campus, and great guy, Richard, so he and I caught up for a little while, and then I thought, well, I'll go off and I'll find another office space to work from. And uh, we do have access to one other room. 
So I took my keys and went off and opened the door and almost bowled over a woman as I entered in. This woman was kneeling on the ground, a young Muslim woman praying. Really interesting. Uh, the last thing you expect to walk in to an office on a secular university to find someone overtly praying. Um, but people do pray in our society. According to the NCLS Australian Community Survey, if you can see some of those stats on screen, um, three in 10 people pray or meditate at least once a week in Australia. Um, you can see further, 18% of Australians surveyed pray or meditate daily. It's quite a few. And a further 28% pray or meditate occasionally. So that's almost 60% of people, Australians, that pray at some stage uh, throughout the weeks or years. Prayer seems like a natural human inclination. Uh, you think of all of our advances in science and everything like that, people still long to pray. And um, Jesus teaches on prayer. He assumes that we pray. And when he teaches, he's uh, speaking about both uh, Jews praying, Orthodox uh, in their faith about God, and also he speaks about pagans praying as well. So quite a wide spectrum. And he has some criticisms for, for both of them. Uh, the first example is of a Jew, but he, he doesn't name the person by their race. He just says he refers to them as the hypocrites. Uh, of course, not all Jews are hypocrites in that um, thought. But these particular Jews are hypocrites because their praying is merely for show. It's a false piety. Uh, it's an ego boost. Now, if you're in a religious culture or community that esteems piety, then praying for show can be the sole motivation to pray. Um, the person is simply seeking only to be thought well of by others. Uh, that's kind of obvious, isn't it, based on what Jesus is teaching. But let's think more deeply about this person. See, this person is merely utilising what is esteemed by the culture in order to gain positive attention for themselves. In many ways, they're like a chameleon. They'll adapt to their surroundings. Whatever the culture esteems, there they are to be found, appropriating uh, it for their own ends. Uh, take uh, this person out of that culture. Uh, place them in another culture altogether. And I think you will soon see them taking on the norms of a new culture. I came across this quote that you see on, sc on screen a while ago, which I think is applicable here. They have got to accept as success what others warrant to be so, and to take their happiness, even their own selves, at the quotation of the day. See, they just move with the culture, and they're really self-seeking to adapt. A better test of a person's piety is not the eloquence or the length of their prayer when in public, but their prayer life when no one is looking. You could go as far as saying, I, I hope as a church, we're people that pray more in private than what we do in public. Now, I wonder whether such people are aware of their own true kind of motivation 
You know, have they reflected enough that they are motivated, not by God's approval, that's not what they're seeking, but human approval, and they require that as their necessity? I'm guessing probably not. I remember before I was a teenager, I was probably about 12 years old, and I heard about peer pressure and how pervasive that is among adolescents. And I thought to myself, well, not this little uh, yellow duck, <laughs> and certainly not me, I'm not like that. I was incredulous about it, as if I felt any pressure to conform. Oh, how blind, <laughs> how lacking in self-awareness. The remarkable thing about Jesus' teaching is his teaching coaches each person to test our own motivations. He shines a light on our deep desires, desires that we're often unaware of and probably don't even want to see, but we need to if we're to grow spiritually mature. Well, the next example that Jesus gives is that of the Gentiles. Uh, We read that they would heap up empty phrases. You ever heard um, ministers heap up empty empty phrases? Uh, Now, this example is quite uh, different from the previous example of the hypocrite because the Gentile here doesn't seem motivated um, to be seeking human approval um, to stroke the ego or anything like that. What they're trying to do is impress God or the gods. Now, that sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Um, Joshua was just mentioning before Elijah. Now, if we think back to that story of Elijah in the Old Testament, challenging the prophets of Baal, and you remember what he he basically challenged them, well, you call on your God and I'll call on mine, and and, um, the God that answers by fire is the real God. And it it records what the prophets of Baal did. They cried out from the beginning of the day, And uh, nothing's happening. And so Elijah keeps taunting them. So they cry all the louder. And eventually, they're they're at their wits' end, so they start cutting themselves. Now, why would you want to start cutting yourselves? Well, I think it's kind of obvious, isn't it? They're trying to impress their God with a show of how dedicated, how devoted they are, and to get the gods moving on their behalf. And it's very much the same with Jesus' example of the Gentiles heaping up uh, empty phrases because they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, this displays a twofold ignorance. First, being ignorant, ignorant of the fact that we have nothing to offer God. You know, God is not desperate for attention sitting up there just hanging out for someone to pray, God doesn't need us at all. Um, I think this was Paul's uh, point when he spoke to the Athenians uh, about God doesn't live in these temples that you're building. He doesn't need anything from you. So that's their first part of their ignorance. The second is they are ignorant of the very character of God. They... um, They think God must somehow be persuaded that God is potentially indifferent, even reluctant to act on their behalf and will only do so if there's uh, an appropriate display of piety or a feat of devotion. Now, it needs to be said that elsewhere Jesus speaks about praying and encourages praying continually. Uh, In Luke chapter 18, 
uh, Jesus tells a parable, and, and Luke prefaces this passage by saying, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And the parable is about a widow seeking justice and asking for it on a daily basis. Jesus concludes this parable explaining that God will grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. So what's the difference between the Gentile who heaps up empty phrases and the chosen one who cry out day and night? How are they different? Well, faith is a key difference here. See, the one who heaps up empty phrases is hoping to persuade God through their own effort. Now, you could say, well, that's a kind of faith, but it, it's not a faith that is grounded in the character of God, in his goodness, in his grace. Theirs is a God who must be coerced into acting on their behalf. In the example of the widow, the widow, of course, is an analogy for God's chosen ones, faith is at work. How so? Well, it's indicated really in what they're praying for. Implicit in their prayer, their prayer for justice, implicit in that prayer is faith in God who is concerned for justice. It means God is good, and that's what their faith is in. So two questions arising for ourselves out of Jesus' teaching is, am I aware of my motivation for praying when we're in a religious setting? And when I pray, am I trusting in God's character as revealed in Jesus Christ? Now we move from the negative examples of prayer to a positive teaching by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray then this way, our Father in heaven. Now, just a few things to note from the opening of this prayer. Uh, we're so used to this prayer. It's, it's so widely known. We hear it on TV. Uh, most Australians would have heard it at one time or another. And it's really easy to miss just how positive this prayer is. Addressing God as our Father is a radical notion. It expresses familial relationship. And it's so different from that prayer that's said by the Gentiles um, that uh, Jesus was talking about. The prayer that Jesus provides has us approaching the almighty, everlasting creator as our father. A father, of course, that loves us, who is interested in our whole lives, one we can call upon with expectation. Uh, we've recently just conducted the uh, Alpha course here, and um, Pastor KG is now running it for the Chinese community, and he, and he came and spoke with me during the week. Uh, he was really encouraged because they just had their session on prayer, and a number of non-Christians are attending, and one of them really got some sort of insight from this, um, the session on prayer in Alpha. And it, the session on prayer in Alpha, is, it talks about uh, Abraham Lincoln, and how his young boy went into the Oval Office without knocking and just was able to have access to his dad straight away, irrespective that his dad was in an important meeting with very important people. Uh, his son could just walk straight in. And the implication of what they're uh, talking about there, or the analogy really, is that 
we have that sort of access to God our Father. And this young man who was hearing this for the first time was just amazed, and it changed everything for him. That's what prayer should be like for us, our Father. Another note, God is our Father, and because he is our Father, we're to see each other as brothers and sisters, as a family that we're praying alongside with. In the example of the the hypocrites praying, don't misunderstand Jesus' teaching that somehow he's against public prayers. Uh, That could be one way of taking it, but not at all. Praying our Father denotes that you're praying in community with one another and praying publicly. The Lord's Prayer can, of, of course, be prayed verbatim, as we do most Sundays, but it can also be used as a guide for how to pray. Uh, So Jesus says at the start, pray then this way, or pray like this. He doesn't say, pray this word for word. Pray then this way. And so it's helpful, I think, sometimes to just slow down your prayer life. Think about the words you are saying. Think about the words that you're thinking on from Scripture and what they mean. To pray, our Father in heaven means to be calling upon the God, the creator of the universe, as your father, the one that has adopted you in Christ, the one who will give you all things in Christ Jesus, who is calling you to everlasting glory with him. To think about those things is uplifting and edifying to our faith. I want to encourage that kind of prayer because I personally find it helpful to pray like this. Believe it or not, there's times in my life where I feel uh, weak in my faith, more times than I can count actually, or depressed, or in a spiritual deficit. And, And in those times I've been able to pray like I've just said, meditating on the words of Scripture, And I found that I've been lifted from my malaise. In fact, just as we were singing this morning, I am who you say I am. That's uplifting because we're reminding ourselves what scripture says about us. It's taking the focus of all the negativity onto eternal truth. And that's the foundation for joy amidst all of our difficulties, amidst all of our trials and suffering. Father in heaven, what a comfort that is. And this is why prayer is a means of grace. We are transformed through prayer. Our thinking becomes aligned with eternal truths. It's not God who needs our prayer, it's we who need to pray for our own growth and spiritual sustenance. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, These lines display that the world is not the way it should be and that the fullness of God's kingdom should be at the very heart of our desires. And in many ways, I think deep down it is. We see the world that is a mess. Even as a child, I remember thinking about how um, the world just wasn't right, wasn't the way things should be. 
Uh, this week we heard about the UN report that's just come out about the, the amount of animals that are extinct or very soon will be, and the same with plants. And it's depressing. And to feel so helpless about this. Human beings have not treated the planet the way it should be. Of course, we also pray for peace and we pray for the world leaders and for governments. But all of these things only go so far. What the world needs most is for Christ to return. Only then will the world's sufferings and problems be reversed. Of course, as citizens of God's kingdom, we work for justice in this world. We do what we can to glorify God. But we also pray, come, Lord Jesus. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our great hope amidst this world that seems to be falling apart. It's certainly a daily prayer. We pray for God's will for our lives, and that's actually a very costly prayer, isn't it? Uh, Jesus gave the example of this because when he was in Gethsemane, he prayed this prayer. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. God's will took him to the cross, took him to suffering. Praying this prayer is a costly prayer. But praying this prayer also recognises that it is better, despite any suffering, despite any loss, that it is always better to be in God's will rather than outside of it. Are you praying for God's will in your life? Or do you think your own idea of life is somehow better? This wisdom is what we see throughout the Old Testament, especially in wisdom literature, so often it will, it will declare better it is to be in God's will than outside of it. But it puts it in other ways. Let me read a, a couple of passages. Psalm 37, 16. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. Or Proverbs 16, 19. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share the plunder of the proud. Not my will, but yours be done. Give us this day our daily bread. God calls us to rely upon him for our daily needs and focuses our attention on the day rather than letting the anxieties of the future grip us, focus just on this day. God calls us to rely upon him daily. Um, This aspect of prayer is a perfect accompaniment for praying for God's will for your life. C.S. Lewis brings this out in the Screwtape Letters uh, really well. Um, If you haven't read this book before, let me encourage you to do so. It's a a great book. I don't know if we've got it on our bookshelf, but if you don't find it there, tell me to go and get it and I'll put it on there. It's an excellent book. Now, this book needs some sort of explanation. Basically, Lewis wrote this as a senior demon writing to a junior and instructing him how to tempt humans, who who he calls patients, And of course, he refers to God as the enemy in this. So if you get your head around that, you'll understand the quote. Here's what um, Wormwood, I think, he writes. Your patient will, of course, have, have picked up on the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will, God's will. 
What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him. It is about this that he is to say, thy will be done. And for the daily task of bearing this, that the daily bread will be provided. May your will be done in my life, but give me this day my daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. This has us reckoning with our relationships. It's not simply our standing with God that matters. This aspect of the prayer reminds us of the two greatest commandments in Scripture. Love God and love one another. Love your neighbour. Uh, Ruth was explaining at the staff meeting during the week a pastoral situation. Uh, one of her friends that she grew up with um, is about to pass away and actually has now passed away. And she went up to Canberra last weekend to be with her family. And, and uh, she spent time with them. The, the son of the um, dying woman was there. And he said, I don't want anything religious. And Ruth was like, oh, okay. And lovingly and graciously had a conversation with him. And then at some point he said, um, what's that prayer, the, the Lord's Prayer? The Lord, yeah, what's that prayer again? And she said, oh, you know, would, would you like to pray that now? And he said, yes. And so they started praying it together. And she, he couldn't remember it directly, so Ruth is kind of leading him through it. And she said, it was only once they got to the section, as I forgive others, that the guy stumbled and had some difficulty continuing on. So Ruth decided to say the sentence again. And, um, and then the young man prayed it. She says, later on, this man decided to ring his father, who he hasn't been in contact with for a decade. Um, his parents had divorced, and he decided to ring his dad and say, Dad, Mum's about to pass away. Maybe it's time you came and made peace. And uh, look, we don't know for sure, but praying the Lord's Prayer, it seems like got this guy focusing on his relationships. Now, that's what a relationship with our Heavenly Father will do. I often wonder about my own relationships, the ones most important to me. How would have I fared, or would those relationships still be intact if it wasn't for God saying, forgive as you have been forgiven? That the relationships we have with one another are virtually as, as um, important as our relationship with God. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. You can see that the whole of the prayer draws our reliance upon God, taking refuge in him, realizing we're not in control, our lives are in your hands. Of course, we do go through trials, don't we? And the rest of the scriptures certainly testify that we will go through trials but we're to go through in Christ. He is our refuge. And the trials, when we go through in Christ, they result in more of his life 
being seen in us. Amen. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you call us into relationship with you through Jesus Christ and relationship with one another. Bring about in us, your people, that greater desire to pray. And in our prayers, may they be a means of grace whereby we are growing in our knowledge of you, your grace to us, our adoption through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.